is UNS Talks, a podcast from the architecture and design firm UN Studio. For our third podcast, we were very happy to host Nikolai Boyadyev, who spoke at our annual UN Studio Summer Conference in Amsterdam. Nikolai is a design tutor at the Strelka Institute, which is a non-governmental education institution based in Moscow that has an experimental approach to studying architecture and design, offering a famously multidisciplinary academic program. For our summer conference on the theme of ownership, we asked Nikolai the following question. In the future, will we be all jobless? Throughout his talk, Nikolai looked at the gig economy, co-working, platformization and the relationship between space and labor. He primarily takes from the example of WeWork, arguing that WeWork could even be viewed as a speculative design project. Please note that as this recording was made not far from Amsterdam Central Station, you may hear some passing trains throughout this recording. Just don't mind them. So uh, as mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm an architect and I'm um, currently the design tutor at uh, Strzok Institute, which is a non-profit uh, experimental education institute where I should say also that both Francesco and Max are also uh, graduates from alumni. Uh, also, I am a co-founder of a consultancy called Operating Group, uh, which is uh, kind of uh, dormant uh, currently, but it was set as a model to essentially take the model of artists and residents and make it into an architecture and residence, where, for example, instead of being an artist embedded in a company and producing branding material and PR for a company, you could actually work from within an organization and come up with interesting ideas that would impact the public realm through a corporate uh, agent. So this is um, a little bit of the framework of the work that I'm presenting today. And also, this consultancy was mainly based on uh, our interest in surveillance in physical space, which I would like to uh, pivot away from, so not talk about surveillance, which I think is actually a concept that we should slightly uh, rethink, especially in the era of, of, of data extraction, and, and think about it as cognitive and behavioral extraction. So uh, a lot of the projects that we used to do were based on cognitive and behavioral extraction in physical space. And again, this is not meant as a critique. It's only meant as a design brief. So essentially, critique is the starting point of our work as opposed to the end result. Uh, and I think that will be quite apparent uh, as I present uh, this work on, the, on WeWork which is part of a broader project called Platformation, uh, which will be out uh, next, next year. So basically, I, I'm assuming most, most people know about WeWork, right? The, the co-working space uh, um, conglomerate. Uh, even if you don't know about it, if you Google search, you'll get sort of the, the aesthetic vibe of it. It's uh, this kind of everything that you imagine from co-working space uh, for, for creatives might look like. And I think that uh, they're actually not at all that special if you think about what they're actually doing. There's a big rise in co-working as a trend. Uh, I mean, and really what co-work, what we work really is, is corporate real estate arbitrage. So basically they own, they don't really own any buildings. They basically lease buildings in, in for, with long-term leases and sexy them up, spice them up and they rent them out at a premium. This is the business model we work, it's not that special. The, the only difference perhaps between them and other kind of current uh, models is that uh, they have a very nice kind of uh, story and narrative behind it. So the two founders, one of them being um, Miguel, um, I forget the last names currently, but one of them was working as an architect on the American apparel interior stores. The other one was selling baby clothing at the time, uh, but he grew up in a kibbutz in Israel. And essentially, they liked to frame WeWork uh, and the concept of We Dash, actually, because they had a, a, it was a much more ambitious brief, as a capitalist kibbutz, or, or, or seeing how that would apply in the kind of context in which they were both brought up. 
so there's a bunch of graphs that so we don't have to go through, but basically uh, meteoric rise, uh, the growth of WeWork has been really uh, phenomenal in terms of the capital that they've invested, uh, that they got invested in. Uh, it's over one, 180 um, locations throughout the world. Uh, funding is going higher. They have a valuation of uh, something like $20 billion, which is the same as Hilton Hotels. Uh, they have uh, projected revenue of $3 billion. Uh, and actually, I think the most interesting graph, and the one I actually want to spend some time on, is this one, which is their revenue growth versus their competition. So if you look at every other publicly owned co-working space, they're actually in almost at a negative, minus 1, minus 1%, 0.03. WeWork has 88% growth in 2018, which is actually kind of, kind of interesting. And I want to make the, the, the argument that WeWork is nothing but all these other things without a paint job. That's a quote that I took from, from someone who was obviously frustrated with that. Uh, but I want to make the argument that usually uh, coming back to, to, to struck and coming back to, to, to design, we like to think about speculative design as this kind of very artistic and very uh, a product that is meant kind of for exhibition spaces. Uh, and here's a graph from Dunn and Raby who are the ones who probably popularized the term. Obviously it's a term used by many art, uh, designers and artists. I want to make the argument that WeWork is not just corporate real estate arbitrage, it's actually a speculative design project. The only difference really is that it's, just, it's a very well-funded one. Because it's nothing more than a narrative around two, these two guys that essentially has carried on into the world and is influencing our built environment at a rate which is uh, perhaps uh, very, uh, very uncommon. Right, so the scope of their ambition is also quite, uh, quite interesting. This is a, an actual uh, motto from, from their, from their um, material. Come for a month, uh, stay for life. It's kind of a, a little bit of a creepy uh, Hotel California kind of vibe, maybe. Uh, and uh, in terms of the ecosystem, so WeWork is a co-working space, really, but they, they call it, it's not a real estate company, it's a state of consciousness. We Live, uh, which is essentially the co-living aspect, very similar to what the guys from Domo are presenting, they call it, again, a new way of living, and now they're prototyping We Grow, which is a series of kindergartens, uh, it's an, uh, an entrepreneurial approach to education and a consciously uh, form of education. So they're trying to, they're trying to basically uh, pocket working, living, and education all within one ecosystem. Which, uh, and also this is just for the simplicity of the narrative, I kept this, but also they're uh, working on a gym concept, they're working on a restaurant concept, they're really trying to essentially platformize all the verbs, we, whatever. And there's that really interesting spot in the middle there, which I call We Govern, which is uh, also what I wanted to talk about, what the platformation project uh, goes into more length, but uh, for now, we'll just, I'll, I'll come back to that later. So what's really WeWork and We Dash is trying to do is they're trying to platformize socioeconomic activity. So they want to create a world where people make a life, not just a living. And this is what I meant by them trying to essentially platformize verbs. Uh, because then their competition is not uh, other co-working spaces, is other things that compete with that activity. Very similar to, to, to this kind of now infamous quote about uh, Netflix. Netflix saying, we don't compete with TV, we compete with sleep. Their, our competition is sleep. It's not other platforms for, for... So this is the kind of similar thing that WeWork is trying to, to do. And I, I think as well as an architect that this absorption of socioeconomic uh, activity could also lead to an absorption of building program, architectural program, which is a, a core of the argument. So they have a, a, a very interesting, and I think very uh, sinister, if you, if you look at it in those terms, suite of data tracking and feedback loop tools to track users in physical space and essentially uh, bring about this paradigm that every single activity that you make 
is somehow uh, uh, a rating. And therefore, there's the culture of surveillance. And this is why I'm, I'm saying we perhaps need to move away from the concept of surveillance to something else. It's an extraction process, which is under, underpinning everything that they do, and increasingly everything that these tech companies are also trying to, to do. This is how we work fix its locations through data of, uh, of uh, buildings in the, in the city. I'll go back to that later. And also, they're starting to experiment with machine learning and algorithms to essentially optimize uh, floor planning and the use of their spaces. So because everyone is rating their experience, they can actually start training algorithms to do part of the work that an architect might have been able to do. Of course, it's not to replace the architect, but this is just a graph that says that prediction by designers are actually less accurate than prediction by, by, by their algorithm that they used to train based on their own spaces. So why I think this is all interesting is that throughout this, the, even the whole setup for, the, for this, for this uh, conference, for this event, is we're talking about access. I think when you're paying for access, of course, the ongoing relationship with the product is the product. The relationship is the product. Therefore, perhaps surveillance and tracking is implicit. And I think arguably this has always been the case with architecture, except this is now making it slightly more relevant. We always, our, our relationship to space has always been one of access, has always been one of experience, and has always been one perhaps that needed to be uh, updated and somehow monitored by the architect in order to make improvements or to change the original design. Now these companies are making that fact very explicit. So uh, again, this is why I think this is interesting. It's not just a very f well funded uh, speculative project, but it's also one that deals with the interest of, uh, of uh, cognitive and behavioral extraction, which I think we should take uh, seriously. I'm gonna spend very, very quickly going through some of the interesting stuff about WeWork. Essentially, they map the relationship between uh, space and, and their users, and they also have different relationships of responding to it and monitoring. So they have a set of different surveillance tools, tracking tools, in order to monitor what's happening in their spaces. For example, they use laser scanning uh, for all of their buildings that they're thinking of renting, which means that they have a very large database of buildings that are scanned with LiDAR and 3D scanning to see if there's any fault foundation, to see if, if the floor plates are not entirely leveled. And this also implies that they have a lot of buildings that they're not even operating on because they don't lease all of these buildings, but they do scan all of them. They have a very big database of buildings, a lot of which they don't actually operate within. Uh, they work a lot with BIM. This is not a big deal for most architects, I think. But what's interesting about this is that most architecture firms uh, have a very accurate model, BIM model, of one particular building. What WeWork is being able to do is put together different BIM models and have them work among each other, which is also a, ver a very new type of way of thinking about BIM. Not a really accurate one model, but a distribution network among models, which is quite valuable. In terms of the user side, they have this WeWork app, which is supposed to connect to the community, but it's really like your, your passport within the WeWork infrastructure. Depending on your, on your level of, um, depending on your level of membership, it does different things. And this is also what helps to track your experience because it's every time you do something and you book a room, there's a little rating system, a bit like you have with Uber. And finally, uh, something that is really interesting that I'll leave at the end is this new part called Powered by We which is really a service that they provide some of their more elite members to really track the, the employees to maximize their efficiency in space. Uh, so again, these divide quite nicely between space and users. So on the one hand, there's a relationship to space. On the other hand, there's a relationship to labor. And I think both of these things together change our relationship to design agency, 
which is really how this project is, is framed uh, in three chapters, which unfortunately I won't have to go through. But I'll talk to the one that's most relevant to this particular event, which is the relationship to labor. So we work and labor. Right, so maybe just going uh, quite quickly, this is, I guess there's, you guys can't see at all what's here. But basically there's, there's a, a, a movement from space being the aesthetic backdrop to the fundamental infrastructure where things happen. And this is what WeWork is, is enabling. Uh, I'll just skip that. But and mo moving to the, the second part, which is the, the labor part, there's a transition uh, from the gig economy to enterprise membership of, of co-working spaces. And this is, I think, relevant to architects. Because, of course, we can criticize the, the gig economy. Uh, but there's a very strong um, branding message and, and narrative device used by these companies to humanize work, to, to disrupt white-collar labor, to, as it was said, allow us to be ourselves. And through our being, us being ourselves, we'll find the best possible path for our careers. I think, uh, I don't know if you can see much of this photo, of, uh, it's uh, something that they use in their branding material, and it's based on the language of the Sims video game. And I think that's important because I'll come back to that uh, in a bit. But basically, the enduring myth of the gig economy is something that I think we should be uh, critical of a little bit. Obviously, it's not all this kind of perfect trajectory. Uh, sometimes you're employed by these things that you can't really control. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, the, the IBM um, prediction algorithm, obviously the Uber app telling drivers where, where to go next and they have this many seconds to, to accept. You have uh, whole uh, companies that are based on parsing LinkedIn profiles in order to, to produce uh, piles of resumes uh, that no one will ever read, but it's just looking for keywords. Uh, and of course, um, the, we, the, the, the app itself uh, within WeWork is one that is, yes, uh, taking into account your feedback, but it's also using your feedback as a type of labor because you're doing all, all these new jobs now that they are capitalizing on. And therefore, you're doing work that was not previously called work, but it's giving WeWork a uh, you know, uh, $20 billion evaluation. So clearly, you're doing something which is not considered labor, but is benefiting someone else. So I think it's important to remember within the context of the gig economy that when you're working for yourself, you actually sometimes are working for an algorithm or you're working actually for a platform. The other thing about enterprise clients is uh, something that uh, is really, uh, it's, a, it's a market trend that is shifting. Co-working spaces, which used to be for kind of uh, creative hipsters, are, is, is now really becoming a, a, an entirely different thing where whole companies, like companies over 1,000 employees, are actually signing up to be tenants of WeWork. So they all now make up, this is a statistic, that they make up about 15% of WeWork's NYC membership from virtually zero. So now WeWork is offering these deals to more established companies such as uh, Amazon, Facebook, uh, FedEx, uh, and they're offering services to not individuals but actually package deals for companies. There's various uh, options available, and which is a, a really clever way for them to minimize the risk that their business model is accounted for because they have these long-term leases. And uh, it, if, let's say, there's a the lull in the economy people stop signing up, they, they're, they're stuck with paying rent. Signing up these big corporate clients actually makes a lot of sense from their end. Uh, they, there's a whole list of these uh, enterprise clients. Uh, as I mentioned, they're not small startups. It's Bank of America, GM, Starbucks, uh, very, very large firms. 
so it's no longer just about the small uh, the small um, employees that are that are um, freelancers and actually there's a whole new market segment of co-working spaces that even uh, move beyond the the gig economy worker so they're not even available to freelancers they're actually only there to cater to big companies that don't want to go with the the hassle of having a HR department of having to rent space and this is uh, something which is quite interesting now you're seeing these companies that used to be targeted or, or presented in a way that it was just a Starbucks with better Wi-Fi are actually now taking over a whole function of, of, uh, of um, what uh, traditional companies had to deal with. So they're platformizing that. Like I said, this relationship is mutually beneficial. It's good for WeWork because they are allowed to, to have a bit more of a stable of, of predictive model and making sure that they don't have to pay long leases that are not occupied. What's interesting is, is, what, is in, what is in for the enterprise clients. So what, why, is this, why would Facebook want to have their working headquarters within WeWork as opposed to having their own? Part of it, of course, is convenience because uh, their, their staff might fluctuate. But they have this, this service called Power by We, which I think we should look at a bit more closely, uh, given the fact that this is about uh, joblessness and, and, and labor. So this is a, a suite of, of products that's still now in beta. It's still part of their R&D department, but they're trying to test uh, actively in the thing, which is making the companies even more productive through data harvesting and essentially surveillance mechanisms of their, of their the workers. So there's a whole range of different things. I'm not sure how much you can see on the slides, but basically this service by WeWork provides a dashboard for these companies who have uh, offices set within their platform to mon monitor how their employees use the space uh, how, they adjust their, how they adjust their desks, is it standing desks, is the, uh, how comfortable are their other desks, uh, where in the office they spend most of their time, uh, how engaged they are in meetings even, depending on how the meeting rooms are occupied. So there's a whole range of data products which are made, uh, which you could call surveillance, but it really is harvesting of information through the labor of even being in the workspace which is made profitable for WeWork and made profitable for these companies, but not really made profitable for the employees that are actually doing the labor of being, being themselves and, uh, you know, reaching for their dreams. So, again, there's this promise by WeWork that this data would never be used to track individual employees. I think that whether you're skeptical or not of that, obviously there's, there's the whole Cambridge Analytica and all these kind of things which are obviously a risk. Uh, but I think... Let's just take that for granted for now and talk about it slightly deeper, uh, again, moving beyond the critique that this will not work, but actually looking at what that actually means. Even if they weren't to be tracking individual employees, even if this wasn't surveillance, it would, this is meant to help companies and help WeWork lease exactly the right amount of space and exactly the right kind of space to these companies, which actually is, has a very interesting connection between labor and space. It, it puts these two things in relationship to each other in a, quite an interesting way. And I think there's two halves of this equation. On the one hand, it's the opportunity to address what labor in space means, what's, what, labor, what working in, in space means, but also what spatial labor is. So on the one hand, it allows to address something that was previously perhaps unaddressed, and on the other hand, uh, the opportunity to recognize labor that we didn't call labor, which is basically being in space and being monitored by someone else. Uh, there's a few examples of how this is starting to play out in an interesting way. For example, recently there's uh, the the whole janitorial staff of the WeWork office uh, decided to go on strike uh, and uh, therefore were demanding uh, better pay, et cetera, and, and more and, and, and making demands that WeWork was conveniently kind of 
brushing aside because they're subcontractors and therefore they're not really their employees. But the fact that they are operating in the space and cleaning the space and also rating the space to make sure that it's been corrected, somehow they have a role to play within that ecosystem, which means perhaps we were would be an opportunity to, to address that, that labor category. On the other hand, uh, this is why I'm coming back to this image that is barely visible here, but this, this branding that WeWork uses, which is kind of Sims-based characters, the idea that we're, we're these kind of non-playable characters, these simulation agents within a bigger infrastructure, and by us occupying space in different ways, that, that is, a, is a type of labor, which we could call spatial labor, and it's a type of labor which is associated directly with space, which is why I think that architects, perhaps, even though most of us aren't... Uh, maybe you don't think that we have the skills to address this, this question, the spatial nature of it makes it also our problem, or at least should make it an opportunity for us to apply our skill set on. Finally, the, this, uh, all of this was ramping up, and again, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm rushing so much through all these slides. Uh, I want to make the point that WeWork, whether it's WeWork or something like WeWork, would be a good way or, or, or a good starting point to rethink union or labor structures through the entity of the union in a different way. So within a, a previous context, so, you know, uh, the workers of the world unite type of union, that is obviously a type of, of, of resistance to the to 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 a certain st social structure, which had it had a context and a time and place, but I think hasn't really been updated to deal with the actual the, the reality that we have to deal with currently. So there's a certain proposal that we could, we could think of the union perhaps as not. Yes, of course, as, as a grouping of people behind uh, one, and one another, offering solid solidarity to one another, but really as a, uh, an entity, uh, the holder of cognitive and spatial data, the holder of this data. And that's, that's why I also liked Robert's uh, point about the, the hospitality. The, the, the you're allowing um, perhaps not the union as the owner of the data in space, but definitely the host or definitely an agent which allows to mediate between companies and individuals and which does not assume that data lives at the individual scale because I think this is per perhaps part of the problem to think that people have to own their data and protect it is perhaps the, the, the convenient way of thinking about it through our models but it may not be the most useful way to think about data in this current climate because obviously data is made, is made useful in aggregate your data is not that useful in itself it's useful when it's combined to others so you wanting to be paid for your data by Facebook actually doesn't make that much sense but if there was a, some other entity between the user and the corporation which had that role to basically gather dividends from that, from that labor and spread it back to its members, which we call the union, but we can call something else, that may be a more interesting model uh, to, to consider. So basically this idea is that perhaps WeWork could be a prototype or something like WeWork could be a prototype for a different type of union structure within the age of uh, cognitive and behavioral extraction, basically attention and data extraction from people in space. And again, I just want to mention that uh, I mentioned Strucker earlier. This idea uh, of the revised type of union is something that uh, former students of ours uh, uh, talked about quite eloquently in this project called Union Shift, which was, uh, which was situated on the site. It, it was a Russian-based project, but the site of the architectural project was not a building was not a, a, a traditional architecture site, but it was the entire network of roads in Russia where truckers actually have to drive 
and therefore as they drive, they record for insurance purposes. And now all of a sudden there's all this data about the Russian roads, which self-driving companies want to have access to. So this was basically a prototype to see how could the union of truck drivers be able to be put together their data from other dash cams in order to have leverage and perhaps uh, mediate their own, their own transition in the age of automation. Not resisting automation because of former understandings of what unions are and basically resisting change by all means, but really designing their own means and their own obsolescence through the union as a structure. So I really encourage you to, to look at that project. I'm probably out of time, but maybe just slightly teasing the, the third section, which is about agency, design, the agency of design and design agency. I think, oh my God, I, I can't even see it from here. But, but basically the slide shows uh, from star architecture to model building, so from the exploration of form to the exploration of alternative possibilities, which I think is something that something like WeWork could allow architects and designers to, to, to do. So on the one hand, uh, you may have seen uh, lately that if you read all the architecture gossip on, on the zine, like I do, uh, you, uh, you would have noticed that our Bjark Ingels has now been hired by WeWork to be their chief arch uh, architecture officer. So they didn't hire Bjark Ingels group, they didn't, they didn't hire his office, they hired him as a person to be a consultant within WeWork. And I think there's a whole like trope, I guess, of making fun of Bjark Ingels within, within the world of architecture. So but I actually want to give him the benefit of the doubt, not because I think that uh, there's something that, um, not because I think that particularly he, he's, he's, he's uh, basically I think that it's better to have someone like Dark Ingalls who understands the idea of world craft, world building, model building, and narrative building, as opposed to someone, for, for example, like Foster, which would be the, um, perhaps other likely candidate to work within the optimization of smart city space, to work within the optimization of construction, but perhaps doesn't see the, the, the vision that you're actually, by modeling these things, you're not just making them more efficient. You're actually creating a narrative around them because you choose what to model. And again, I, it's easy to make fun of, it's low-hanging fruit to make fun of Bjark Ingels, so I'm not gonna do that now. I think that actually it's not that big of an idea, it's not so bad that within WeWork's decision makers, maybe Bjark gets, gets inserted because uh, at least architects are part of the conversations that need to be had beyond just criticizing how terrible it is that WeWork is, uh, is, um, is platformizing urban space. So, to conclude, uh, uh, as I mentioned, this, this project platformation is a much, much bigger project with, which, deals about, with, which deals with how do these large uh, tech companies could start taking on a bit more, start internalizing. So contrary to the, to the popular belief where we think that they should be less involved, I think they should be more involved but be made more accountable in terms of uh, what, they, what they, um, they touch upon. So again, WeWork could potentially uh, affect la uh, labor and uh, design of interior spaces. I think Amazon could potentially take on waste. They're so good at bringing stuff to us. If they took on the other half of the equation with waste, maybe that could be better. Maybe something like uh, Tesla could take into account energy. So it's a project that basically tries to see how with the platforms that we have, not starting from tabula rasa, how could we make those platforms how can we bring them down to the public realm as opposed to resisting them and try to build them from scratch? So in order to do that, there's kind of three uh, big uh, components. The first one is the, 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 the movement from data to capta, which kind of goes uh, to, to, to Robert's point as well about per perhaps we should, we, should think, we should always think of data not as something that is being given, 
and, and therefore extracted from us, but as something that's being made. Like data is a process of design. Some parameters led to that extraction. So this, this concept of uh, raw data being an oxymoron, I think is important for us to consider because being involved in the construction of data sets, being involved in the construction of the tools to extract data is something that I think architects should take a stronger hand in because at, at the end of the day, they these are ways to model reality which we should be made uh, accountable for. On the second hand, I I'm making this argument to move from the user, from user-centric design, from human-centric design to composite user-centric design, if that makes any sense. So even though it might make sense to focus on the individual, there's this expression that the road to hell leads to, what's the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think the good intention of wanting to put data at the scale of the individual, the ownership of data at the scale of the individual might not be the best thing for the individual at the, end, at the long run. So if space was made that thing which owns the data, or in this case with WeWork, if the union was, was made that owns the data, that actually might be better for the individual. And finally, moving from map to model, moving from the idea of designing in plan with designing with context, and moving with this idea of, of, of modeling uh, the realities that each one work in is something that we've been quite involved at Stroke, uh, uh, the Stroke Institute uh, lately, and you'll see a lot of our projects deal with this uh, very fact. So again, to conclude, uh, what I'm sort of proposing to Bjarke now that he's in the room uh, would be to kind of think of new categorical logics and the construction of new data sets from that data, from that extraction, potentially leading to better results because they actually monitor something beyond the efficiency of corporate agents. Uh, a new spatial and social custodi custodianship to space by architects. Essentially, if this process of extraction was made clear for what it is, which is, means that it generates value, some of that value could return for the architects who are essentially making sure to adapt it, which means that they don't have to charge a large fee for design of a project. They might actually be attached to a project in the long run and make money through its occupancy as they generate this data. And I think this is something not just from spatially, but also socially from the point of view of the union. Perhaps they're also like community builders and try to understand who the stakeholders of the projects are. And finally, expanding the space of possibility. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest uh, danger is not so much that we lose control of our data as individuals, but maybe it's the f because we don't have access to it, the, 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 the ways in which it's being used are much less interesting than what it could be used. Like the fact that you like to click on ads for traveling makes a lot of sense for the companies that are owning this data, but you can do so much more with that data and we're not even made aware of them, which is I think something that needs to be rethought. So with that in mind, I think WeWork uh, could be a, pro a prototype for a new augmented spatial practice which responds to these challenges. And uh, I'm probably way above, but this is the end of the WeGovern. Thank you very much, Nikolai. Thank you so much. And that's all from UNS Talks. To learn more about the work of the Stralka Institute, you can find them online, stralka.com. To learn more about WeWork, you can probably find them in your hometown or at wework.com. Tune in for our next live stream on July the 19th, where we'll be hosting the curators of the current exhibition from the VNA in London. You can follow our live stream on Instagram or on Facebook Live. On another note, if you've spotted our design for Amsterdam's Ivan cable car and you have a burning question about the design, this is your chance to ask. We will be recording a Q&A session with Ben van Berkel about the design for the iBank quite soon and we'll be turning it into a podcast for you. So if you have a question, send it in via one of our social media platforms or email it to info at unstudio.com with the email heading podcast and we will be sure to ask Ben on your behalf. 
To sign off, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, or your preferred podcast provider. A special thanks to Wayfar and the Boar for recording this lecture, and thanks to Mediamatic for hosting our conference. Sayonara!